The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. Have you ever learned something about how to move through the world from another living thing, an animal or a plant? Hey, everybody. From LinkedIn News, this is In the Arena, a podcast exploring human potential. I'm Leah Smart, and every week you'll find me right here in conversation with bright minds and brave hearts, learning how we can improve our lives and our world by transforming ourselves. Before we get started, our team has had a ton of people asking where they can find more In the Arena content. So as of today, you can sign up for my weekly newsletter that talks about ways in which you can live even better than you do today at www.linkedin.com ITA. That's www.linkedin.com ITA. Okay, on to our show. Jennifer Ackerman joined me today because she's been writing books about science, nature, and health for decades. And she's got a few New York Times bestsellers, too. So as the weather warms up, I have been wondering, how can we each get a little more connected to our surroundings, to nature? And most of us don't spend our days studying or thinking about this, but people like Jennifer do. She studied shorebirds owls, even the everyday pigeon for my fellow New Yorkers. And she's here today telling us how this can all relate back to us, where we miss out on awe in our everyday lives and what's truly precious. I don't use this word often, but she really was a delight to have on the show. Jennifer is open and wise and interesting. And she's got an amazing storytelling ability that came out about the first time she met an owl in person in the study for her book, What an Owl Knows. This one's a little bit different, so I hope you like it. Here's Jennifer. I'd love to tell you the story of the first time I got to hold an owl. It was one day last spring in western Montana, and I was with Denver Holt, who's just, he's one of the one of the, the big experts on owls. And we were in a, a kind of gully, and it was full of all these hawthorn choke cherry trees. It was very dense and scrubby. And we had just trapped a female, a long-eared owl in a mist net. Now it's a medium-sized owl. And I'd seen this owl earlier. She was roosting in a tree in the gully, but she was so well camouflaged that I, I almost couldn't see her. And she, she didn't look so much like an owl and more like a broken tree branch, really. She was all stretched up vertically, very tall. And she has these long ear tufts and they were just fully extended. And she was, she was striped just like tree bark. So, and I was supposed to keep my eyes on her, but every time I looked away, even for a second, I couldn't spot her again. If it hadn't been for these, she has these bright yellow eyes. I, I would never have known this bird was there. And we had to work really hard to trap her because she was a mature bird and super wary, not easily fooled. But when we finally did catch her, Denver and his team, they did all the things they, they needed to do. They weighed her, they measured her, they attached a, an identification band to her leg. But then I got to hold her. And it was just the most amazing experience. You know, she had these big, strong legs and her talons were like really razor sharp, like killer talons. And they were tucked between my fingers, but her wings were so soft. They were like rabbit's fur. And, you know, I thought about how like an owl's feathers are so soft because they have this velvet-like covering. And that's what hushes the sound of their flight when they're flying. And it's what I think I find so amazing and awesome and wondrous about owls is that they're 
They're both ferocious and also, you know, soft and tender. They're cute. They're also fairly brutal. <laughs> and, um, you know, they're familiar with these, these round heads and, you know, frontal eyes like ours, but they're also just strange and really unworldly. And this bird, you know, she, she locked eyes with me and there we were, we were like eye to eye, you know, creature to creature with, with what felt like this just powerful connection, both of us kind of asking, you know, what are you? And, and I was wondering, you know, what, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? You know, and I just held her for a while and I, I marveled at how beautiful she was and how superbly adapted to her world, you know, so quiet, so skilled. And then I, I got to release her. I crouched down in this tunnel of alders and pointed her toward this opening in the branches and I cocked my wrist a little and, you know, opened my fingers and she lifted off without a sound, you know, she spread her wings and she just vanished into the thicket. And I don't know, it was just a moment that was so bright and intense and uh, really deeply affecting. It just, as I said, it made me feel like a small part of some much bigger, much more magnificent world. Oh, I love that. That could make me cry. That's a beautiful story. I'm like, I'm, I'm there with you. And that's like the beauty of reading, right? Is that you're taken to a place that you can't necessarily see. So it all comes up in your mind and you feel it mm -hmm. as if it were you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. I love it. And when you think about the intention behind the work you're doing now, what is that? My intention is to open people's eyes to the, just the wonder and the delight of birds and they're the most visible form of wildlife. I think we, we all learned this during the pandemic. If you want to see nature, birds are so accessible and they're so vibrant and alive. And what I really aim to do is just to bring people closer to these animals and to experience delight and to care more about, about taking care of them. When I look back at your previous books and going back, 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 mm -hmm. um, you had mm -hmm. this sort of transition. One of your books is Sex, Sleep, Eat, Drink, Dream. Right. And now to what an owl knows. Like, what's your story arc been with that transition? Yeah. So my first book was um, Birds by the Shore, which explored the natural history of the mid-Atlantic coast. And that included a lot of birds. And then I took a detour into human biology because I was really fascinated by the riddle of our humanity's place in the natural world. So one of my books about the genetic similarities between humans and other creatures is called Chance in the House of Fate, A Natural History of Heredity. But in 2013, my husband was diagnosed with cancer, and I just decided to turn my attention back to nature, which is to my first love, and that's birds. Wow. And so it was your husband's diagnosis that caused you to move back yeah, you know, my mother died of cancer when I was 21. And that was really the first time that I discovered that I really, if I was going to find solace and comfort in really difficult times, that I needed to turn to nature. And that was where my focus needed to be when I was going through such a difficult time with him. Mm. You know, when you think about the work that you're doing and you just saying being connected to nature was so important during a time of solace, what do you feel like you're helping show people? I think that watching birds is really meditative because it invites you, it really insists that you be present in the moment. It also encourages you to kind of sway outside yourself and really witness another living thing. And I think what I want to pass along to people is that here's this very visible form of another living 
creature. And there's comfort to be found watching them go about their lives in a very regular <laughs> way. It's an easy way to connect with nature. And I have some moments in the mornings, especially when I experience fear or things just come down on me, the health of my family, you know, work issues. And what I do is I go outside and sit on my deck or in the yard and sit with my coffee and just listen to the birds. There's, you know, in spring, it's the dawn chorus. And it's the symphony of bird song that, you know, that occurs every spring. And, and I really start to relax. Just last year, there were these scientific studies reporting that observing birds, you know, seeing them, listening to them is really good for our mental well-being. And mm. it even, you know, alleviates depression in people who haven't responded to pharmaceuticals. So it's now really a kind of proven thing. And as you said, during the pandemic, I think a lot of people just experienced this for the first time and really did benefit from it. Birds are everywhere. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter where you go. They're there and they're visible. And, you know, I'm not a person who goes out looking for rare birds. I just enjoy the birds around me. And literally, you can go, you know, sit on a park bench in the city and you can see and experience birds. You can witness their behaviors. You know, I'm a big one on how intelligent they are. And you see some things, you know, right there at your feet if you're in the park. It's not like you have to go to any special place or have any special knowledge, really. And it is, you know, transporting for us to sort of just say, oh, okay, wow, what is their perspective? Well, I was listening to The Bird's Way about how intelligent birds are and the fact that there was a point in which we didn't think they were that intelligent, that most of their activity was instinctual. But really what we know is that there's more activity that's actually like choice and that they're able to assess cause and effect and all of these things we didn't know. When you think about what you've learned about birds. I'd love to know specifically because you've got this book coming out about owls. When you think about what you've learned about birds and how you relate that back to our everyday lives, what are the things that you feel should be highlighted? I think one of the things is just how much we have in common. You know, we've always thought of ourselves as so separate. And one of the things that I've learned in doing all of this research is the commonalities, you know, right down to their abilities to communicate in sophisticated ways and their ability to cooperate with one another. You know, they can problem solve together. And I think there's some things that birds demonstrate that are just really useful for us to see. You know, I think about owls in particular and how they move through life with great quietness and, you know, both in terms of their camouflage and their silent flight. And Studying them really taught me that quieting myself, listening, noticing sights and sounds that just might otherwise, you know, I might miss, they might go unnoticed, but they sort of point to the value of just, you know, fitting into the world and being quiet. And so that was a, a beautiful lesson. We'll be right back with award-winning author Jennifer Ackerman. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. 
On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so, we had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And we're back with author of What an Owl Knows, Jennifer Ackerman. When you like came into this research you were doing around owls and then moving out, what questions did you walk in with? You know, the big question was, what do owls know? What do they experience in the world? And also, what do we know about owls? You know, they have this reputation for being wise, but really, are they smart? And so I think what was exciting to me was there are a lot of new eyes out in the world, new ways of seeing these birds and studying them. Mm. So what did you come away with? Being different from any other bird, I actually didn't even realize that. Well, a lot. <laughs> <There's>... <laughs> I know. I'm like, tell me in two minutes what you learned over the course of, I'm sure, years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I thought the fascinating to me about the the intelligence my work has shown, you know, we used to think that birds were pretty much instinctive in their behavior. And we've learned that they're no, in fact, they have, you know, very sophisticated brains and mental capacities. But the it sort of clung to owls that no, they really weren't as bright as other birds. Um, that has turned out to be really incorrect. And I think one of the, the things that we've learned is that we have, you know, our understanding of intelligence in the world outside of humans is really still in its infancy. You know, we're, our study of it is just still very, very primitive. We don't know how to measure things, um, ways of knowing that are not like our own. Mm -hmm. And I think owls have ways of knowing that are very different from ours and hard to measure. But there's some really interesting anecdotes and evidence that there's a lot going on in the mind of an owl. Um, you know, the first cave painting of a bird at all is actually an owl found in the Chauvet Cave in southeastern France, wow. 36,000 years old. And it's a beautiful drawing of an owl, and it's very clear. And the cultures throughout history and today, there are so many stories and myths about owls. And also owls just are very present in a symbolism in artwork. But there are also other cultures that view owls really as emblems of evil. You know, they're bad omens, they're linked with death. So I think that the human fascination with them, and the fact that they have forward-facing eyes like ours and round heads like ours, they look a little human-like, and yet they're these weird nocturnal creatures with these strange cries. And I think it's this combination of things, this package that makes them really almost uncanny and, and kind of supernatural in the human mind. As you were talking about the people who are devoted to this, and I think about your work, I think there are so many people who have lost touch with a lot of what 
you're talking about. We've gotten so busy and inundated. We, you know, I live in New York City where, you know, it's like if you see a bird, it's a pigeon. <laughs> Most people have have like negative reactions to that or no reaction at all. You know, when I first moved here a decade ago, I moved from California. So I was used to having access to more nature that was just readily available. And I think a lot of us in this environment don't end up spending very much time outside of the city or having to do it. Doing it is very purposeful. So in a lot of ways, we're disconnected. And I'm wondering from like the people who are all the way on this side of the spectrum who are going, you know, I don't have time for any of this. I barely have time for myself to people who are, you know, citizens who are doing this work because they're so joyful and passionate about it. How do we land a little bit closer to the middle if we do feel like, gosh, I'm so out of touch with this? That's a really great question. I'm going to stand up for pigeons here. <laughs> because <laughs> I actually gained a lot of respect for these birds when I was working on the genius of birds and the bird way, because pigeons are actually very good learners and they're very gifted at making visual distinctions. So um, they've actually been trained to distinguish between healthy and cancerous tissues in mammograms, and they can do it better than a trained technician. So there's, there's a lot more going on there than we give them credit for. I would say even just watching pigeons, I mean, some people I know consider them rats with wings, but, um, <laughs> but they're much more interesting and there's a lot more going on than we give them credit for. And in most places, if you just quiet yourself for a few minutes, you're going to see more than pigeons. You know, there are all kinds of birds in cities that are thriving. And you can just sit and listen too. sometimes. You're going to find a bird song. And it is one of those amazing things to be able to just sit quietly and listen to a bird singing. And it doesn't take a lot of time. You know, if you've got a few minutes after a lunch break or something, yeah, just quiet yourself. And a lot of it is about, you know, not looking for a distraction, not plugging into something like listening to music or whatever, but just being in the outdoors world and being attentive to what's going on around you. Yeah. And it's making the choice mm -hmm. to just do it. Yeah. You mentioned this. First of all, I had no idea about that painting on the, of the owl on the cave from 36,000 years ago. That's incredible. And you mentioned reverence. And, you know, on this show, I think that's kind of like the crux of a lot of what we're doing, which is like, how do we have more respect for or connection to meaning and purpose. And a lot of times that's through taking a second to slow down and to find reverence for something that you typically wouldn't find reverence for. What I just described about the pigeons, for example, I had no idea that they'd been trained to be able to detect cancerous cells in a mammogram. It reminds me of this conversation I had a few months back with someone named Ed Young, who wrote a book called An Immense World. And in that book, he talks about Umwelt and the concept of, you know, every animal having their own internal environment. And most of us don't think about that or don't consider that that's possible. So we kind of lose this reverence for them. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. And one of the really stunning things to me about owls is that is their experience of the world of sound is so different from ours. And they have extraordinarily acute hearing. It's what allows them to hunt. They can pinpoint their prey in pitch black using sound alone. And it's really a remarkable thing. And it dovetails with their very quiet flight, you know, so they don't make noise when they fly so that they can approach their prey quietly and also so that they can hear it. 
And so they're hearing, uh, you know, a whole world that we're not capable of, of, of hearing. And I want to go back for a minute also to the question of communication, because one of the things that I loved about learning about birds and learning about owls is how sophisticated their communication is. You know, we just think of of bird song as this, oh, you know, it's just mindlessly singing away, when in fact their songs are packed with information. They're just teeming with meaning. And this is true for an owl's calls and hoots too. It's communicating all kinds of information to other owls about its size, its sex, its state of mind, its individual identity. And so it makes you hear things in a different way. There's a, a little bird called um, the black-capped chickadee. And this bird has a call that can convey to other birds in the area what kind of predator is coming and where it's coming from and what size it is and whether it's time to flee. <laughs> I mean, there's just all of this wonderful information, you know, it just sounds like a little chickadee dee dee <laughs> call. In my new apartment, there's like big trees outside the window. And when spring hit, I realized you could hear the birds so clearly in the morning. And what's probably even funnier to me is like, of course, I'm sitting here going, oh, look at their cute song. And they could literally be communicating about like a predator, you know, so it's, it just reminds you of like how little we all really know as we sit inside of our own little umvelts and try to, you know, assume what others are experiencing. That is exactly right. Yeah. Jennifer, when you think about the work that you've done and the culmination of your research, and I'm sure you'll keep going, but for those of us who are hearing things like this for the first time, what do we have to know about the work you're doing and how can we apply, continue to apply that to our everyday lives? Well, I think it's about what's really precious in life. And the thing that I hope for, what my work inspires wonder and awe. I think we don't experience enough awe in life. And seeing an owl in the wild, hearing it, it makes you feel part of something much, much bigger. The other thing then is I think we have to work very hard to make sure that the next generations, our children and our children's children, have the chance to experience the birds that we experience and, you know, to learn from them and from their really marvelous and still largely undiscovered ways of knowing. Uh, so there's a conservation piece of this too, which is just, you know, inspiring love and with it a sense of desire and responsibility to take care of them. You know, habitat destruction and climate change, those are the two big factors where birds are concerned. And I don't like to hit people over the head with the loss. I think there's some very hopeful signs that some birds at least are adapting really well and in really intelligent ways to the changes that are going on. So it's not a hopeless situation at all, but it does require everybody to be involved in some way. And I think just opening your awareness to these birds is just a wonderful way to start and it benefits everybody. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to have you complete these three statements for me as it relates to just how you've experienced the world. So better humans are more attentive to the world around them and full of wonder and awe and delight at what they see around them. Better work is work that brings us closer to our own experience of delight. I like that. And a better world has 
I'm going to change it slightly. A better world embraces all the living things that exist here and supports them, gives them safety, and allows them to live their lives as fully as possible. Beautiful. I second that. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for being here. Uh, before you head out on your book tour, thank you for joining us and sharing all that you've learned. And I'm obviously wishing you the best of luck as you share this with other people and hit the road and hopefully inspire others in the same way. I hope you share that story over and over again. It was really lovely. Thank you so much for having me here, Leah. It's been a delight. That was Jennifer Ackerman, New York Times bestselling author of The Genius of Birds, The Bird Way, and now, what an owl knows. You don't really have to do anything with this conversation. I'd say just consider. Consider how you've learned something unique about how to move through the world from an animal or plant that was unexpected. And if you can, wake up and listen for the birds on purpose. If this conversation has you thinking about how to embrace nature a bit more, share it with someone who might benefit from looking around every once in a while. And help other people like you find our show by leaving us a rating before you go. Even better, write a one-sentence review telling me why you love our show. As always, you can find me on LinkedIn, writing about human potential and meaningful living, and find my newsletter on how to live even better than you do today at www.linkedin.com ITA. That's www.linkedin.com ITA. In the Arena is a production of LinkedIn News. The show is produced by Alexis Ramdow and Rafa Fariha. Asakya Drone makes sure we sound good in the studio. Joe DeGiorgi mixed our show. Enrique Montalvo is the executive producer of LinkedIn Editorial Productions. Dave Pond is head of news production. Courtney Coop is head of LinkedIn Original Audio and Video. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. And I'm Leah Smart. Thanks for coming with me, and I'll see you next week.